Turrets, everyone. We're so glad that you're here. Why don't you stand, put those coffees down, and put your hands together as we praise the Lord. In the prayer. 
Jesus the Nazarene wonder how he could Of your love, 
just thank you so much for the many blessings that you've bestowed upon us, Lord. For that ultimate blessing, Lord, that you gave us, that sacrifice of you giving your one and only son, Lord Jesus, to die for us. To pay for our sins, Lord, so that we may go to heaven, Lord, and praise you face to face one day. We thank you so much for that, Lord. Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for words that you've given Mark, that they may pour out of his mouth, Lord, straight from you and into our hearts, that we may walk out of here completely and utterly changed, knowing what your will may be in our lives, Lord. Lord, thank you for everything you've given us, Lord. I pray this in your most precious and awesome name, in Jesus Christ's name. Maybe see. If you're here for that, whoa, there we go. I'll say it again. Good morning. Right? It's good to see you here. Uh, if you're here for the very first time, we just want to let you know how excited we are that you came to spend the weekend with us here at New Spring. And uh, we have a special guest uh, gift we want to give you for being our guest. If you take the worship folio that you received when you came in, it says Divine Whispers on the front of it. If you open it up, there's a Talk to Us card. You can fill out however much information you're comfortable sharing with us. You can take that to guest services out in the foyer, or also there's one back by the coffee shop, and we have a free gift we want to give you. Quickly, before we take the offering, I have one thing I want to mention. Uh, you guys know that I'm the, not only the associate pastor here, but I do couples ministry. I'm the couples pastor. And we have a very special event coming up July 19th and 20th. We have a two-day marriage conference. Um, it's called Vows Conference. It's a Friday night and a Saturday morning. Um, I'm going to be doing it along with one of my dearest friends in the world, a, a friend of mine who's a marriage and family therapist, Donnie Van Curen, is going to be here doing it with me. Um, we are right in the middle of registration for this. We have people coming from four states. I think it's going to be a blast. Um, but we have had a lot of people say, hey, I just keep forgetting. I leave church and I, and I forget about the conference. I don't sign up. So we have got you hooked up. Now you can go get signed up in the New Spring store. So if it's something you've been intending to do, make sure to stop by there, get your tickets, get signed up, because we want you to be able to be a part of that if you want to be a part of it. I think it'll be a blessing to you. Those who are prepared to take the offer this morning, you can go ahead and come forward and do that at this time. Everybody, if you wouldn't mind directing your attention for a moment to the screens and check out what's going on at New Spring Church. In just a moment, we'll be hearing a message of life-changing truth, so please silence your cell phones or any other electronic devices. If you have a child in the room that might cause a disturbance, or if you need to have a conversation, please use the overflow area next to the coffee shop so others in the auditorium can concentrate on the message. Does your elementary age child want to be baptized or want to learn more about a relationship with Jesus? If so, attend Jumpstart. It's a 30-minute session designed for kids and their parents, and it's coming up June 19th. You can register at newspring.org slash jumpstart. You can be a part of something big when you give to NewSpring, and it's never been easier. If you would like to give using your smartphone, just use your browser and visit newspring.org slash mobilegive, or download the free Secure Give app from your app store. You can always give when you're on campus at one of our kiosks or you can set up a one-time gift or a recurring donation at home by visiting newspring.org give. Ever wonder what you're gonna do on a Friday night? Well, wonder no more, ladies and gentlemen. Kids World FX is coming up for a free night of totally fabulous family fun. A star-spangled FX is a must. Why, we're gonna have zany games. We're gonna have amazing music with guest singers. And, of course, an FX-sized dose of American pride. And for the star-spangled finale, despite Mr. Dan's objections, I've prepared something super amazing all by myself. An incredible firework extravaganza! <laughs> Okay, maybe not. We'll come up with something, though, and you don't want to miss it. It's free, it's family, it's fun. Star Spangled FX. FX like you've never seen it before.
Hey, just a quick word before I get started. If you were here last week and I shared with you, or Mary Alice did, how that we were, we were really hoping and praying that we might be able to raise $50,000 for Bibles for the Middle East. I just love you guys. You guys are awesome. You gave over 60000 So I want to give God glory. That's a lot of lives that are going to be changed because of New Spring Church. Right now we're in a series called Divine Whispers. And I got the idea of the, the Divine Whisper title from a, a comment made by Mark Batterson in his book, The Circle Maker, last year when I was working on a series on prayer. And he, he made a comment about the, the times in which God actually speaks into our lives. Now, certainly, before I get there, God speaks to us all the time. Certainly, he speaks to us through his word. 99.9% of what you need to know about God is if you're holding a Bible in your lap, you have it. And then, of course, his spirit is present with us continuously. But there are moments in our lives, key moments, in which it's very clear that God gives a specific message to us. And Mark talks about those in a statement that really resonated with my own personal experience. He said this, please understand that spirit whispers, that's what he called them, please understand that spirit whispers are few and far between, but those whispers echo forever. Four times in my life, God has come along and he's spoken into my life in these kinds of ways. They were few, only four, and they were, as you're going to see in this series, years apart. But they changed my destiny. And it could be that someone here today will say, well, Mark, if, if you didn't hear me say this last week, it could be that someone will say, well, Mark, why would, you, why would you take four weeks of New Springs calendar to talk about four things that God said to you personally? Do you feel that you're so important that God talks to you in a way that he doesn't talk to us? And that answer could could be, there, there could be no more emphatic no answer to that question. Or it could be that you would just say, um, is it simply because God only speaks to people who are high-profile ministry, missionary-type people? And again, the answer is so emphatically no, it's not. There, there, there are five reasons that I believe it's important for us to understand why this series is, is significant to all of us. And these five reasons are the five characteristics of God speaking in my life that I've looked at. And the first one is destiny was at stake. And in, this, and in my case, all four times when God spoke to me, it wasn't merely my destiny that was at stake. It was this church's destiny that was at stake. Last Thursday, I've been here 28 years. And so each of these four occasions of God speaking to me, they were about the future of New Spring Church. The second thing, and, and just so that you will understand that this is not a series that pats Mark on the back for, yeah, Mark is a great preacher and God talks to him, you need to understand this is a little embarrassing for me. Because the second characteristic of, characteristic of God speaking to me was I was thinking the wrong way. And not only was I thinking the wrong way, I was about to do the wrong thing. As you'll see in this message and the other messages, probably my thinking was consistent with conventional wisdom. But God doesn't think the way we think. That's the reason we need God to speak truth into our lives. Because oftentimes we think we know how God thinks. Everybody else around us says it's how it should be. And that's, the, that's what we hear. And the polls all corroborate. You know, they took a poll and they decided that, you know, 64% of the American people think this. It must be the way to think. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And God's ways are not our ways. So in each of these cases, as I say, this is kind of embarrassing for me to share. I was thinking wrong. And God spoke into my life in such a way that, number three, it was confrontational and it was powerful. I mean, there was no doubt about it. God's, God was speaking to me in a way that, that pushed me back against my own thinking. The fourth characteristic may be surprising to you because usually when someone confronts us, it's not very pleasant. But I have to tell you this. In all four of these cases, when God confronted me with my wrong thinking, it was one of the sweetest moments, or these are four of the sweetest moments of my life. Because let me just tell you my biggest issue as a human being. I don't know what to do most of the time. Being a godly husband is bigger than I am. Being a godly dad is bigger than I am. Being a pastor of a great church is so much bigger than I am. I don't know what to do most of the time. Do I have anybody else here like that? I mean, you could say, well, I know what to do all the time, but we'll just give you your halo and let you check out of the rest of the sermon. <clears throat> and we'll also doubt your credibility and other issues. Fact of the matter is, we human beings don't know what to do because we're missing a very important piece of information, and that is the future. So when God came along and he confronted me with my wrong thinking, it was amazingly comforting. And then the fifth thing is, as soon as I heard God's statement, it was instantly corroborated by the Word of God, often. Whenever God speaks to you, He's never going to tell you to do something that's inconsistent with His Word. As I said last week, God's never going to tell you, husbands, oh, just go cheat on your wife and have an affair because I'm bringing this woman into your life. Believe it or not, I've actually heard people tell me that. 
God will never tell you to do anything inconsistent with his word. So if God speaks to you, you'll be able to check it out with scripture, and it'll be a message that's in scripture many, many times. I do love what Mark says in his statement about how God speaks to us. He called them divine whispers. Guys, God, unlike many parents, does not scream at his children, and God will not scream at you. It is not God's nature to scream at you. When God speaks to you, it'll be a whisper, and therein lies part of the issue for busy 21st century Americans. Our lives are very noisy. And I don't mean just in an auditory sense. Our lives are very noisy with stuff. How many of you, like me, deal with anxieties? And you can wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and the house can be totally quiet, but the sound inside your spirit can be raging with all kinds of fears that are screaming at you. And so one of the greatest challenges for us, if we're ever going to hear from God, is we may have to get very quiet before God. And sometimes God has to allow adversity to come into our lives so that we will slow down long enough to listen to him. Well, that being said, I shared with you last week how that being comfortable can become the enemy of destiny. And remember I said 29 years ago when I was contemplating what I would do with my life, I knew that God had called me into ministry and specifically to pastor. I assumed that staying in Texas would be what God had for me because certainly why would God take me out of the promised land? And, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I told God, why would I ever want to leave? And I, asked, and I said, I'm comfortable. And that quickly God said, whoever said I wanted you comfortable. And that's what we talked about last week. And I share with you that comfortable can be the enemy of destiny. Some of us are not fulfilling our destiny because we choose to be comfortable. At a moment, at a Y in the road, you know, at a, at a fork in the road, we have decided that we will choose comfort over challenge. But that was last week's talk. Let me talk about something else today in the second experience that I have with God speaking to me. And I want to talk today about emotions because emotions can become the enemy of destiny. Now, quickly, emotions is such a big topic that instantly we need to scale down our definition to a small working definition. There's so much more about emotions that I'm not going to talk about. There are good emotions. There are healthy emotions. There are emotions that help us make decisions. But we're not going to be talking about those kinds of emotions. Our narrow working definition for emotions today will simply be this. Temporary human reactions to life. And I know, I know emotions is broader than that, but let's just work with that one. Temporary human reactions to life. An, an emotional reaction. Well, you know, first of all, they're, they're, they're emotions that we should pay attention to because they're human emotions. And they're emotions that are reasonable. But the problem that we have with temporary human emotions is that first word, and that is that they are temporary. They do not last. And oftentimes when we make, emotion, we make emotional decisions or we, we react emotionally, we, we threaten our destiny because we're reacting in a feeling that's only going to be temporary. Let's play with this just a little bit before we get started. Let's use a couple of expressions and see what kind of images that they, they conjure up. Suppose, if you will, you see me go through a very difficult time. And someone will ask you, well, how did Mark deal with that? And you would say, well, you know, Mark reacted emotionally. It was an emotional reaction on Mark's part. Now, what are you suggesting? You are suggesting, I think, that I reacted in a way that might be inconsistent with my overarching values. That if I had had time for my emotions to calm down, I might have reacted differently. So what you're communicating is there's an inconsistency because of emotion. I reacted differently than my values would normally react. Or let's just take, for instance, you see me do something. And in a, in a moment of difficulty or challenge, um, I make a decision, and somebody will say, well, how, how did Mark do? And you, and you say, you know, he made an emotional decision. Well, what you're communicating, what you're suggesting by that, is that I made a decision that might be inconsistent with the choices that I normally make because of the moment. See, emotions are healthy. But, and this statement helps me. And it may not help you, but this statement helps me. Emotions are more like a cushion to land on than a platform to stand on. Emotions are healthy. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bad thing to deny your emotions. In fact, when someone, if you could use the expression, she sat there emotionless, typically what you're saying is that's not normal, that's not reasonable. If a person can be emotionless, we begin to worry about their, about their emotional health. So that's the challenge for us because on one hand, we need to be honest with our emotions. It's not a good thing to be dishonest with how we feel. But at the same time, there's a strange dichotomy. While we must be honest about our emotions, we have to also understand that our emotions might not be trustworthy. 
Um, this is, again, more than you want to know. But our offices are closed on Monday. Now, Monday might not be the best day for a church staff to be off. But there's a reason why we're closed on Monday, and, and we just don't get together as a staff. I learned many years ago that I don't need to make any decisions on Sunday night because I'm exhausted, and my emotions are exhausted. And what the first thing that happens to us when we come out in on a weekend is we analyze everything that went on on our campus from stem to stern. Every department goes through thorough analysis. We ask ourselves, did this work? Was this effective? Did we do our best? Are there issues? What I discovered is if I come in on Monday morning, I don't like anything. I'm unhappy with everybody. And, and, and we, when we were open on Monday morning, everybody would just like walk around, you know, saying, did we win yesterday? <laughs> And so because of that, we just closed down on Monday. And, and so now we came in on Tuesday, and we've had a little time to rest. Now, if we still have a problem on Tuesday morning, if I'm upset on Tuesday morning, we got an issue. <laughs> the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man. See, this is one of the most chilling verses in the Bible. There is a way that seems right, right to a man. Or to a person, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It's not a right way. God didn't say it's a right way. It just feels right. Well, that's the problem. I mean, you can say, well, feels right to me. And God said, no, it's, it's the way of death. It, I mean, here's the thing. If you go by what seems right to you in your marriage, you, you'll probably experience the death of something in your marriage. Maybe not your marriage, but the death of opportunity. If you go by what feels right in your career, you'll probably destroy your career. And the worst thing about it, if you try to approach God on what feels right to you, you may lose your eternal soul. We want to embrace our emotions and be honest with them, but by the same time, we want, to feel, we want to realize that they're not trustworthy. You know, one of the most dangerous prefaces that you can put on any statement is, you know what I feel like doing? I mean, how many, how many things have we done when we, we regret? We just started, you know what I feel like doing? I don't like walking in there right now and quitting. Well, how are you going to feel about that three days from now when you don't have a job? You know what I feel like doing? I feel like walking out on this marriage. You know what I feel like doing? I feel like getting even. You know what I feel like? I mean, somebody can be here, and, and you struggle with substances in the past, and you've been sober for a long time, but you're frustrated with life, and people are being unjust. And you say, you know what I feel like doing? I feel like going out and getting drunk, or I feel like going out and getting high. You know what I feel like doing? I, I, <laughs> how many of us have the debts and the plastic to show up? I feel like buying it anyway. <laughs> You know what I feel like doing? I feel like marrying the next person or sleeping with the next person who comes along. See what I mean? One of the most dangerous prefaces to any statement is, do you know what I feel like doing? Because here's the thing. Feelings do matter. No doubt about it. Emotions do matter. But the emotion that matters is the one you're going to have eventually. How many of us have had moments where we said, you know what I feel like doing, and we went out and did something stupid, and we did what we felt like doing in the moment. Later on, what do we say? I feel so stupid. Well, yeah, you had an emotion at the beginning. You had an emotion at the end. The emotion at the end is the one that matters. On the other hand, how many of us in a moment when we said, you know what I feel like doing, but some wisdom came along, and we said, no, I'm not going to do that, and you do the right thing. And, and have you had that moment of relief when you look back on what you almost did and you say, oh, I'm so glad I didn't do that. Oh, I'm so glad I did the right thing. So emotions matter. And emotions, we need to be honest with them. But at the same time, as I said, they're more like a cushion to land on and not a platform to stand on. Well, one day I got a lesson in this. And in fact, the matter is, I'd say most likely you're sitting where you are today because of this lesson that I got. One more time, this is a, a series called Divine Whispers where God spoke to me. And you remember the first two characteristics of God speaking. Number one, it was a moment of destiny, and I was about to do the wrong thing. And so I want you to understand that this, is, this message in no way glorifies me. In fact, just the opposite. I almost missed a moment of destiny. I almost missed one of the greatest blessings God ever gave New Spring Church. I would say I, I almost missed the greatest tangible blessing God ever gave this church which is the land you're on today. When I came to this church 28 years ago, we were on the south side of Wichita, 
And uh, we had about 350, 400 people, and we have 4.35 acres of land. And that was adequate for us because if you were here last week, you'll understand this comment. We were a comfortable church. We were sort of comfortable with everything. We had everything paid off. We had no debts. And we had seven, dollars $800,000 in the bank, which isn't a lot of money, but it looked like a lot of money to us in the late 80s and 90s. But I had, a, I had the knowledge that God had something great planned for this church. And even though back in that day nobody would have, if I had talked about relocating, I think they would have hung me from one of the light poles. But I had a sense that that's where God was leading. But we began to grow, certainly not by today's standards, but we began to grow to 500 and then a little beyond that. And so in, in the early 90s, I began to look for land. Now I'll try my best not to drag out this story because I went into overtime in the 4 o'clock service last night. But I began to look for land. And whenever a church looks for land, they really need to be able to have quite a bit of it so they can spread out. And so if you need a lot of land, you have to go to the perimeter of the city most of the time. But I had realized when I moved here that there weren't a lot of really nice arteries whereby you could, you could place facilities. Yeah, there was uh, 135, that is the north-south uh, corridor, and there's 54, which is east-west corridor, and everything's kind of like on a grid here. And we didn't have a lot of prime real estate along, along highways. And it was important to me that whenever, wherever we located, people could drive into our church because you can drive from the northwest side of this town to the far northeast side of this town in 23 and a half minutes. I know because I've driven it. I don't know if I've exceeded the speed limit, but I think I'm probably pretty close. So uh, I, I didn't know where to relocate, but I remember one day back in 91 or 92, I, I was preaching a funeral at Lakeview Funeral Home, which is just south of here. And back in the day, the only way that I could get to Lakeview was to get on 13th Street and drive forever. I used to tell my secretary that if I ever had a funeral at Lakeview, I'd just take my sack lunch and eat it on, the, on 13th Street all the way out because it seemed like you had to be on it forever. But I was crossing the 13th Street Bridge just south of where we are now. K96 is not here. It's just, it's just, it's, there, there's, there's no highway here that like you drove in on today, many of you. Um, and I, I crossed the bridge at 13th Street and I looked up looked my driver's window and I saw Pop lying on the ground underneath the bridge. And so I asked someone who understood what was going on in the city. I said, what's going on out there by Lakeview Funeral Home? I saw a pipe on the ground. And my friend said, oh, pastor, they're going to build a, an expressway that's going to belt the northeast quadrant of the city. And I don't know, I can't speak with certainty on how I knew at that moment. It could be because I'd lived in large cities, Wichita's smallest place I ever lived. I was in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and then went to Houston. And I knew how those cities grew up. Or it just could be that God basically confirmed to my spirit that that is where we need to be. So I never changed from that time on. Even though there was no expressway here, I felt this is where we needed to be. Well, by the mid-90s, when I started looking for land, I went to our board. And I said to them, guys, I need to go out and negotiate for land. I'm looking for land on the northeast side. But I said, I need you to set a cap for me. I need you to set a financial cap. Now, this is naive thinking, but I was in my mid-30s and didn't know very much, no less now. But I, I said to the board, I said, I'd like, I, I'd like to keep back the majority of our money to begin construction. I'd like to take a, a minority figure of that and go out and buy land. I said, here's where I'd like you to set the cap. I want you to set the cap at $300,000. Now, think about this. I want land along the Northeast Expressway, preferably on a main corner of a main, main intersection, and I want to spend $300,000. But after all, there's no road out there now. I'm sure it's early, nothing out there but a bunch of mile-old fields. I'll probably be able to buy the land. Well, when I start looking around, I get an education in life because I discover that I'm not the only one looking at land along this corridor. It's a very popular and hot piece of land, and, and others, you know, Bill Warren and others were looking for land out here. And so quickly I found out that the land out here was already pretty well gone. And here's something else that I learned. I learned that 13th Street was a bit of a, of a uh, dividing line. All of the land along the Future Expressway that was north of 13th Street was priced by the square foot. All the land south of 13th Street was priced by the acre. Now, I was born at night, but not last night, and I understand the difference in commercial real estate between land being brokered at square foot prices and acreage prices. And so I determined that there was no way in the world that with, I mean, I could have taken all our cash. There was no way in the world we could have bought any land north of 13th Street at that time. This is mid-90s. But fortunately for us, we found a parcel of land south of 13th Street or right on 13th Street in which we were told by the owner that 
we could buy some land for $300,000, but unfortunately there was a previous buyer that had an option, but they weren't going to be able to satisfy that option. And if we would just wait for a little while, they would sell the land to us for $300,000. And so for us, we felt that was God's answer that we would locate there. The only thing is the reason why land was priced by the acre is that there were no city services out there. So we talked about building a lagoon, and I'm so thankful that we don't have something like that today. But anyway... A lot of time went by because I think there were like 90 days, 120 days that we had to wait for that option to be finished. And then after that, we, we thought, well, we got our land. Then we said, no. they said, no, they've got 30 days to change their mind. It seemed like there was another 30 days. And I'm just like hearing the theme to double jeopardy all this time going on, waiting for it. But I still remember, I believe it was in, in the spring of 94, I was flying to Chattanooga, Tennessee to speak for a conference in downtown Chattanooga. And Billy Poor, who is our executive pastor now, he was on our board back then and trusted confidant, he, uh, he was getting me to the airport, and, and he said to me on the way, he said, now, you know, the day for our, our opportunity to buy the land is, the, is this week, and he said, now, I, and he was in construction in those days, heavy uh, commercial and residential construction, and he said, I'll have my heavy equipment out there, and we'll have a sunrise service, and that I, was look, I was dreaming of a sunrise service on our new land when I got on the airplane, but while I was in Chattanooga, Billy called me, and he said, I, I would wait till you got home to give you this message. But he said, we've never had any secrets from each other, and I'm not going to start now. He said, unfortunately, they were able to buy their land, and we don't have it. So all these months we've been waiting for this land, it just dried up and blew away. And now I don't know where to go. I mean, this corridor is pretty well bought up. In that time, we, Mary Alice and I kept passing on 21st Street, kept passing this piece of land on the corner. And Mary Alice would look at that land, and she would say to this land, to the land we're on, she would say, Mark, isn't that a great piece of land? What about this? And I would say to her, woman, you don't know anything about real estate. Um, <laughs> I said, there are two problems with this. Number one, it isn't for sale. And number two, if it was for sale, it would be in the millions. <laughs> it would be on the outside looking in. We don't stand a snowball's chance. But sometime during that time, and it's a little foggy, time is beginning to make some of these stories just a little hazy. But sometime during that time, I was in the hallway of our old campus, and I ran to a businessman in our church who had been to a Kiwanis meeting or Rotary Club meeting or something. And he had come across a Christian gentleman, a very fine Christian gentleman, who, uh, who had been at that meeting. And it turns out that he happened to handle all the investments, at least land investments, real estate investments of the, of the couple who owned this land. And so he just put me together with him, and I sat down with this fine Christian gentleman, and I, and I said to him, we would like to buy some land. Now, during that time, we had brought in an, an expert. You know what an expert is? Somebody that goes 300 miles away from home, carries fancy leather briefcase. So we had an expert come in, you know, one of these analysts, and he looked at our situation, running about 500 at that time, and he said, you guys need between 15 and 25 acres of land. Now, to me, 15 acres of land seemed huge. So I have that in the back of my mind, and I say to this gentleman, I said, well, now we want to buy land out there at K96 and 21st Street, right on the corner. We want the corner lot. And I said, here's the thing that we want to, we want to do. We want to buy 25 acres for $10,000 an acre. Now, I know that's an insane lowball offer, but instantly I've got this $300,000 cap. I can go down to 15 acres. I can go up to $300,000 just like that. Simple thing, you know. And then I know I can go back to the board and we can up our offer and then we can go to the banks if we can borrow money to get into the seven-figure kind of range that this land would. But I, I started out by saying we'll buy 25 acres for $10,000 an acre. He calls the owner and the owner said, absolutely, I'll do that deal. And I was, I was just ecstatic. I was having spiritual experiences I don't even believe in. I mean, I was just... And I thought, now I know why we didn't get this other land. God has this land for us. Isn't this amazing? $250,000, 25 acres. But during the time that all this was going down, I signed my half of the contract. He was going to go up to the owner and have the owner sign the other half of the contract. The word got out on the street that this prime piece of real estate, and I've had businessmen clap me on the back and say, you guys pulled off a coup. There's a lot of people looking at this piece of land. The word got out on the street that this land was going down. And all of a sudden, people with deep pockets begin to jump in and make huge offers that quickly were way beyond the pale of anything that we could touch. And I heard the rumors. I knew that one, there was a huge factory that one of these people had wanted to put a factory out here and others that wanted to put strip malls and other kinds of businesses out here. And the, the offers just got so high. I got a call from this Christian gentleman who handled the investments, and he called me, and he said, Pastor, he said, this ain't going to work. He said, you know, you know what's going on out there, and this deal ain't going to happen, and the owner's pulling back his, 
his approval. There's no way I can tell you what I'd already been through, the ups and the downs and the pain and the disappointment that I'd already felt. And at that moment, I felt so heartbroken. And I felt, I mean, I felt like God had answered prayer only to have it jerked back from us. I'd never spoken to the owner before. I'd only dealt with this representative. So I called this agent and I said, here's what I'd like to have. I want the phone number of the owner. And ladies and gentlemen, let me just tell you, and I'm ashamed to admit that this is what your pastor was thinking, but I was so angry at that moment. You know, I'm, I'm kind of old-fashioned. I believe a handshake deal is a deal, and I felt like we had a handshake deal. And beside that, it was all the emotion that I had been through already, and I had every intention. I had every intention, as God is my witness, of getting that guy on the phone and telling him what a dirty dog I thought he was for pulling back from that deal. I said to him, give me that man's number, and he did give me the number. Now, there are moments in my life that are so powerful, I can call them back right now as though it happened five minutes ago. In my old office, I inherited an office, and I, had a, I inherited this huge, ostentatious desk, and I never sat behind it because it just made me feel creepy. So I, <laughs> and this big, you know, high-back chair, and, and so I got to be honest with you, I went across the hall to the nursery and got out one of the rockers and brought it over to the front corner, left corner of the desk, and I kept my phone there, and that's where I work. So I still see myself sitting in that rocking chair. I had the receiver in my hand, and I'm about to call this man and rage at him for what I feel is such a dirty thing, when suddenly I heard the voice of the Spirit of God say to me, not audibly, but it, it would have been weaker if it had been audible, that's not the way to handle this. Now here is the thing, and this is the, is, this is the best way I can think of to put you in my situation so that you will know how I felt or maybe feel what I felt. My feelings are telling me I am handling it right. And a lot of us here today would think, well, that's, that sounds reasonable. And so I'm thinking, and this is, this is what this whole message is about. Well, well, if I don't know how to handle it, how do I handle it? And I don't even know. I mean, I'm not even sure exactly what happened in my spirit at that moment, but I'm going to think about, well, I don't know what to handle, and I can't go by what I feel like doing. So how would God handle this? If God is saying that's not the way to handle it, how would God handle it? And I'm not even sure why I said what I said because I suddenly begin to say things I didn't feel. I said to him, called him by name, I said, you know, my name is Mark Hoover. I pastor Messiah Baptist Church. We're the church that tried to buy you land. And I said, I know others are offering you much more money than we could ever offer. And now here's when I'm really saying what I don't believe or what I don't feel. I said, you know, if God wants one of these companies to have the land, I want them to have it. If God wants one of these businesses to have this land, then I want them to have it. But if God wants us to have the land, I want us to have it. Now, why did I say what I said next? Because I didn't feel it. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm in another zone. I am I, basically speaking what I don't feel. But I'm, I'm trying. God has said it's not the way. What would be the way? I closed out the phone conversation by saying, all I care about. I mean, if God wants them to have it, I want them to have it. If God wants us to have it, I want us to have it. But all I care about is that God gets the glory. I could have been talking to a totally irreligious man. I don't know who I'm talking to. He's kind. He's, you know, he's, he's curt. Phone conversation lasted 45 seconds. He never reacted to anything. He just thanked me for the call, and I hung up the phone. And as soon as I hung up the phone, I thought, well, we've lost our land, but we've kept our testimony, kept our reputation. <laughs> now, it's, somebody's here today, and I... I know how you're thinking. You're hearing me tell this story, and you're saying, Mark, that's dishonest because you said what you didn't feel. No, no, it's not dishonest. It's faith. One of the greatest pieces of advice you'll ever hear from a minister is what's about to come out of my mouth right now. Faith is the only way to please God, and if you don't have faith, just act like you have faith. Because, see, here's the thing. Feeling is not faith. Faith is doing what God wants us to do in spite of our feelings. I don't know where that statement, all I care about is that God gets the glory, because it wasn't what I felt like saying right then. But I do believe that that's what the Bible says when it speaks about Abraham against hope, and hope Abraham believed. In other words, against his feelings, he went ahead and acted by faith. Yeah, we've lost our land. That's Thursday afternoon. 
Friday afternoon, I'm in my car, and it's back, this is in 94, 95, somewhere back in there, and it was back in the day, guys and gals, you remember when we had cell phones, you had them installed in your car, you had like a little pedestal in your car, and I'm driving to Derby, I'm going down K-15 to make a, call, make a visit, and my phone rings, and I answer the phone, and it's this, this gentleman, this agent who handles the investments for the owner. I was surprised to hear from him, because I thought it was all over. I just thought maybe he was calling to console me, and... And he, he said, uh, Pastor, he said, I just got off the phone and named the owner. And he said, uh, you know, you know, um, he really likes you. And I thought, well, I'm a likable guy. And, uh, <laughs> he said, no. He said, you know, he said, I, I've handled his investments for 25 years. And he, he's just so quiet. I'm not sure how he feels about me. But he said, that Baptist pastor is the nicest guy I ever talked to. He said, preacher. It's up to you, but if I were you, I'd make that man an offer. He says, just one more thing. He doesn't want to cut up his quarter section. The minimum acreage he'll sell you is 40 acres. Now my heart just sinks even further because now I've got to make an offer. And I know what's being thrown around. I know it's, I know it's, I know it's in the millions. And I got this cap of $300,000. And I've already offered him $10,000 an acre for 25 acres, and I got to up that offer. And now $10,000 an acre for 40 acres, that would be $400,000. That's $100,000 higher than my cap. And I'm thinking, I mean, I'm driving to Derby. I'm thinking about this all the time. I'm on K-15. I'm thinking, I mean, how, how, how do I up the offer? And here's what I said. I said, well, you know, uh, you tell him, here's my offer. We'll buy 30 acres at $10,000 an acre, and I want him to give us the other 10. That's what he did. <laughs> he said, well, preacher, you, you know what's being offered. I said, yeah, I do, but that's, that's the best I can do. Now, in my, in my inner spirit, I'm thinking, I can call the board together tonight. We can go up, you know, to $800,000, and we can go to the bank, see if we can borrow the rest of the money, whatever this costs, two, $3 million, you know, more than that. But right then, I had a cap, and it was a real cap. I had said it. I had asked for that cap, $300,000. Well, the agent said, and here's his exact words to me, I'm bound by law to present any offer. <laughs> That's Friday afternoon. Saturday night, 11.45, my phone rings at my house. In my, in my home, phone rings at 11.45. Somebody's in trouble, usually. But my phone rings, and on the other end of the voice, on the end of the line is the voice of this agent. And as a godly, he is a very godly man. I could tell that there was a catch in his voice because he was crying. And he said, Pastor, you'll never believe this. But I'm sitting here, and he named the owners. And he said, I have a signed contract for 30 acres at $10,000 an acre, and they're going to give you the other 10. And that is how the land that costs many million, that's worth many millions of dollars we were able to get for 300000 And it was the capstone for everything. When we told our banker what we wanted to borrow, he threw the pin on the table, and he said, you guys can have anything you want. <laughs> your land said, we can bulldoze all your buildings. Your land's worth a lot more. But that's not the best part of the story. You see, it takes 45 days. For all of you in commercial real estate, you understand this. It takes at least 45 days or around that, that length of time to do the APA study and title search. And all that time, I would love to tell you that I had great faith that God had worked in a marvelous way, but I'm terrified. You know me. I told you. I've been honest with you. I deal with lots of anxieties. I'm chewing my fingernails down to my elbows because so many times I've had stuff on the table and it got jerked back, and I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. But 45 days pass, and we go down to the title company, sign the papers. And I was there, I think my son Jared was there, and a couple members of our board, a couple members, I think Dan Kubish from our staff was there with me. And we were all sitting there on our side of the title agent waiting for this couple, the owners. I'd never met them, never seen them before, only had that 45-second conversation with him on the phone. And the owners came in, they were, they were older, of course now I'm 56, I was in my 30s then, so they probably weren't as old as I thought they were, but very nicely dressed, carrying big leather briefcase, and very professional. He's an extraordinary businessman. And they, it was very curt and professional. We shook hands, and they sat on the other side. 
of the agent, and anybody who's ever bought land like this or buildings, you understand that you have a huge stack of papers, and they're, you know, they signed as the seller, and they would pass the paper to me, and I would sign as the buyer, and one by one, the pieces of paper moved to my stack, and I waited until all the paper was in my stack, and we owned the land because I had a question to ask. I looked under the, I looked past the title agent and looked over at the owner, and I said the first thing to him I'd said other than hello since our phone conversation. I called him by name. I said, I have to ask you a question. Why did you do this deal with us? When all those huge offers were coming in with all the zeros, why didn't you take one of those other offers? And as long as I live, I remember he raised his hands at that moment. And he said, I tried. But every time I tried to take one of those offers, all I could hear was Mark's voice saying, all I care about is that God gets the glory. Turns out they were committed believers who loved the Lord with all their hearts. They, they, they watched us and listened to us on media for many years. Do you see how I nearly lost destiny? My emotions were raging, but I nearly lost destiny. Maybe we Christians get into trouble in life because we take things too personally. We take life too personally. You know what causes us to react emotionally? Our pride is wounded or our pride is affected in some way. You know, for all of us who have been promised that God loves us, has a marvelous plan for our life, and he knows the plans that he has for us, the God who has promised us, according to Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good, for people who have promises like that, why should we take life so personally? I don't know why I do. See, I, I thought it was personal. I thought it was about me. And God was saying, Mark, this isn't about what you want to accomplish on K96 and 21st. This is about what I want to accomplish on K96 and 21st. This is not your dream that you dreamed up. This is my dream that I put in your heart. If you would just get your emotions out of the way and step back for a moment, I'll do a miracle and you can watch it and be part of it. Why do we take life so personally? See, here's the thing with emotions. As long as our eyes are upon God and his glory, we're okay. When we get our eyes on how we feel about how we're being treated, that's when we get in trouble. Think about Peter. You know, he's, he's walking on the water. He sees Jesus walking on the water, and Jesus calls him out, and Peter gets out of the boat, and he starts walking on the water. As long as Peter's mind is on Jesus is walking on the water, and he called me out, he's fine. Jesus called me out. He's okay. At the moment, he said, I'm about to sink. Then he got in trouble. See what I'm saying? As long as our eyes are on ourselves, how we feel, what's going on in our life, how we're being treated, our health, our wealth, well, then we'll react emotionally. But when all of a sudden it's about God's glory and what God wants to accomplish in the earth, we don't have to take life as personally. Oh, my goodness, I had a great thing I wanted to give you, but we're out of time. Let me just go to the conclusion. The greatest battle on this thing that ever took place. See, a lot of people feel like the battle for your soul was fought on Calvary when Jesus died on the cross. I mean, I, that's true probably in a way, but I think the real battle for your soul was fought in Gethsemane the night before. Because Jesus is wrestling with his emotions. He is human and God at the same time. He's just as God as though he were never human, just as human as though he were never God. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is looking at the suffering that he is about to encounter. And no human being would wish that. He is looking at that moment when God will turn his back and Jesus will bear all the sins of the world. And Jesus' humanity shrinks back from that. You feel that in his statement, oh Lord, oh God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from now, here's what I believe Jesus is wrestling with. He tells Peter, you know, Peter pulls his sword out and tries to do something emotionally. He whacks off, he's trying to cut a guy's head off, and he just manages to cut his ear off. I mean, it just, that's about what we do when we're emotional. And Jesus said, Peter, put your sword up. Don't you realize I could call over 80,000 angels 
and they would come and help me. And you understand, these angels are leaning up because they don't want to see Jesus die anyway. They're, 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 scared. They, they're seeing their Lord being brutalized. I mean, they're leaning over the parapets of heaven just waiting for just a little gentle summon of the finger. One angel destroyed an army of 185,000 people in the Old Testament. Jesus has got more than 80,000 he can call at any moment. So he is in the Garden of Gethsemane knowing that at any moment he can shut this thing down. The only problem is if he shuts this thing down, you and I never get another choice from our first parents' choice, Adam and Eve, and we can pack our bags for hell. So that's what's at stake. And there is that moment in Luke 22, verse 42, Jesus said, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. I don't want to put words in Jesus' mouth, but I think what he was saying at that moment is all I care about is that God gets the glory. And he went on to the cross, and he suffered that horrible death for us. But the book of Revelation tells us about a moment when Jesus in heaven will be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. And the Bible says, and I looked, the revelator said, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hand. They cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to the Lord. See, I think that's the emotion Jesus cared about. It was that emotion at the end. It wasn't the emotions on the cross. It's that emotion when hundreds of millions of people, no doubt, will be in heaven and stand before the throne, and we will give glory and honor to Jesus, and the good news is I'm going to be there, and if you've given your heart and life to Jesus, you're going to be there. And Jesus fought that battle to say, it's not what I feel that I want done. It is that God gets the glory. And all I'm saying to us today is that if we can take our emotions, even in the moment, and be honest about them like Jesus did and say, I don't feel like it, but set them aside and say, all I care about is that God gets the glory, well, then miracles can happen. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I can't close this sermon talking about Jesus without telling you that you have an opportunity to change the vote from our first parents, Adam and Eve, that you and I are born with as a default selection, which is a choice against God. You and I have a chance to change that choice. Jesus made it possible by dying on the cross. His blood paid for your sins. You can never, you can never make yourself right with God by being good enough. No religion can save you. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We just saw that. That's what they'll say in heaven. You have to come to Jesus by faith and realize that you're a sinner and that you can never be good enough. It's not what you do for him. It's what he has done for you. It's the righteousness that he lived, and it's the blood that he shed that paid for every one of your sins. And if by faith you will commit your life to Jesus Christ and you will ask him for the gift, he will wash away all your sins, past, present, and future, and adopt you into God's family. And Scripture says this, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You know what it means to call out? I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can pray it with me if you want to. This is, these are not magic words. This, these have to come from your heart. But if, if what I pray is your heart's feeling, then you can invite Jesus Christ to come into your life and make the greatest decision you've ever made. Would you pray with me, please? My God, I am a sinner. I can't save myself. But I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe you raised him from the dead. I receive Jesus as my Savior and King. I choose Jesus. Thank you for making me God's child in Jesus' name. Well, I realize there are a lot of questions you may have if you just made that decision. And I want you to get something before you leave. I have a packet. It's got a DVD and a book that I wrote that answers a lot of questions and a coupon for a new Bible. If you just prayed to receive Christ, all you got to do is come to guest services in the back, you know, in the lobby or out there by the coffee shop. Just say, I prayed with Mark. And they will give you this. You can take it with you. I'm so glad you're here today for week two. Divine Whispers next week. We go to week three. God bless. Thank you. <laughs>